Um, after the service is over, simply leave that on your pew, and the ushers will come around and pick that up. One of the things that you could check off on the back of your connection card to sign up for is men's retreat, and that is coming up very quickly. Just a couple more weeks, uh, just uh, the weekend after this upcoming weekend, so less than two weeks away, uh, September 2nd through the 4th. And uh, keep in mind uh, that there is a cost to that, uh, but, there, but if that is an issue, we, want to know, we wanted to let you know that there are scholarships available. And uh, so men's retreat is always a great time. If you have questions, feel free to see Norm. Norm, you want to raise your hand? Uh, so men's retreat is coming up in a couple weeks. Choir rehearsal this Thursday. Mike Kaneshiro, who was a, a member of our church for a while uh, and hasn't come for a little while uh, because of some health issues, but uh, Mike uh, passed away a couple weeks ago and his uh, service will his memorial service will be this Saturday, so make note of that if you would be interested in attending that. Uh, also, this Saturday is the West Coast Showcase, which is kind of a fun time, a talent show that we'll have here in the sanctuary five o'clock that evening. And uh, next Sunday we have a mission sharing from uh, David and G Katani who are serving in uh, East LA. So keep note of those things. We have lots of stuff going on. Continue to pray for Pastor Rick and Amy as they are away on sabbatical, and we'll be back uh, here in a couple weeks. As I was preparing this uh, for this morning service, uh, this morning sermon, I was thinking about just uh, the idea of us going and meeting someone. We're going to talk this morning about meeting God and being in His presence. And so I was thinking about this question, have you ever been excited to meet someone? Has there ever been an opportunity where you were really looking forward to meeting a, a, a person or a, or a few people? When Chelsea and I were first dating, I had an opportunity to uh, meet her parents. Now we had uh, just been dating a couple weeks, but God in his foreknowledge had me sign up for a conference in Southern California months before I ever knew Chelsea. And uh, so the conference where I was going to was literally like two miles away from her house. So we thought, well, this is a great opportunity for her to meet, uh, for me to meet her parents. But she wasn't going to be there. So I was filing, f- flying solo, and I was yet going to get together with her parents for dinner that night. So we set it all up. They came to the retreat center that I was at and picked me up, and we went out to eat. And uh, I was looking forward to this because I thought, here's an opportunity for me to get to know this girl that I'm dating now a little bit better. And so I'd actually prepared some questions in my mind. And the first question I was going to ask uh, her parents, I thought this is a very nice Good, thoughtful boyfriend type question. What was Chelsea like as a kid? So we sit down to eat, and, uh, and I said, Mr. and Mrs. Brown, I have a question for you. And I gave too long of a pause because Chelsea's mom told me later she thought the question I was going to ask is, can I have your daughter's hand in marriage? <laughs> and uh, we'd only been dating a couple weeks, so that would have been a little quick. Uh, but, you know, we went on, and it was, turned out to be a, a pretty pleasant evening, and, uh, and, and, you know, the rest is history, as they say, right? So this morning, we are going to be talking about uh, meeting God, 
And the psalm that we are going to be looking, about, looking at, uh, Psalm 132, talks about coming into God's presence. And in fact, I want us to, uh, even considering what would it be like to stay in His presence, to live in His presence. You know, when we come together on Sunday morning, it is with the hope. I think all of us come with the thought that we are entering into the presence of God. And that's a wonderful thing. God meets with us here in a very special way. And there are different ways that God's presence is all around us. We know that He is omnipresent, there, that He is everywhere all, at all times. But then there are also ways that we experience His presence in special ways, whether it be a sense of His presence or just His presence in our work. And so this morning we are going to consider this special way of living and going into God's presence. This song was, this song uh, 132 is part of our sermon series this summer on the songs of ascent. The songs of ascent, 15 songs that the Israelites sang as they went to Jerusalem to worship God. And so as they are going, really what they are doing is they are seeking to prepare their hearts to come into the presence of God. In a special way, God, even though God dwelt with them all the time, in a special way, He dwelt in Israel, in the temple, specifically in the Holy of Holies above the Ark of the Covenant. And we'll see these things mentioned in this passage. And so the Israelites were preparing for this special opportunity to come into, the, into God's presence. But as we have looked at these uh, songs in this a series of songs, the songs of ascent, we see that it is more than just what they would experience typically two times a year. These are songs that help them to live all of their lives before God. And so we have considered things like repentance and hope and contentment and happiness and joy and security and, and spiritual perseverance. And so all of these things are valuable for us as well because these are ultimately the themes by which we want to live as Christians. And so, there, and so as we read this psalm together, I want us to note the kind of excitement that the Israelites had as they considered coming before the presence of God. To help us along these lines, I've formed an equation. It is a 1 plus 1 equals 2 type of equation. And the equation that we'll flesh out this morning deals with around this statement. When our passion for God and God's promises for us come together, when these two things come together as one, then God's active presence is realized or experienced. And we'll flesh that out more. But this is what I see in this passage. That when our passion for God... And God's promises for us come together. God's active or His special presence is realized and experienced in our lives and in the world around us. So let's look at Psalm 132. And as I read this, I just ask that you would make mental note of where are the places where God's presence is talked about. It's the longest of all the songs of ascent, 18 verses, but we'll read it in full. Psalm 132. Again, the title is given as, in, as is in all these songs. It says, A Song of Ascents. Lord, remember David in all his self-denial. He swore an oath to the Lord and made a vow to the Mighty One of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. 
I will not allow sleep to my eyes nor slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. We heard it in Ephrathah. We came upon it in the fields of Jair. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool, saying, Arise, Lord, come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. That is speaking of the ark of the covenant there. May your priests be clothed with your righteousness. May your faithful people sing for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not reject your anointed one. Just as David made a vow and a covenant to God, now that says that the Lord makes a covenant to David. Verse 11, the Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath he will not revoke. One of your own descendants I will place on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and the statutes I teach them, then your sons will sit on, the, on your throne forever and ever. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling, saying, This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. I will bless her with abundant provisions. Starting here in verse 5, it talks about what are all of the benefits of this. What's the result? I will bless her with all uh, I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor I will satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation. I and her faithful people will sing for joy. Here I will make a horn grow for David. And I will set up a lamp for his anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but his head will be, or, or will be adorned with, radiant, with a radiant crown. Okay, that's a lot to talk about, so we'll try to boil it down and, uh, and give application for our lives. But before we do that, let me pause and pray for us. Father God, as we look at this psalm together, I pray that you would drive these truths into our hearts. We know that this is a lot. This was written 2,500 years ago. And so we have, to, uh, we have to think through how did this apply to the Israelites. And God, I pray most importantly that you would help us to think how does this apply to our lives. And God, as we look at these things together, we pray that you would be our teacher, that you would give us insight and wisdom, that you would give us conviction and guidance so that we might live in your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple observations from the text. First of all, verse 1 starts by recalling David. David was, a, was considered the ideal king in Israel's history. He was considered the one, in, uh, the, the, the prototype, so to speak, that all other kings would, would be measured against. And so, it's, so the Israelites, as they are going to Jerusalem, they remember this hero of theirs, this one who laid the, found, uh, the, the groundwork for the temple to be built in Israel, in, in Jerusalem, where they were going, where God's presence dwelt. And so it says here in verse 1, Lord, remember David and all his self-denial. And then it starts talking about that self-denial. Basically, it's says that David denied himself sleep until this goal of providing God a house was met. He swore an oath to the Lord. David made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. 
I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will not allow sleep to my eyes nor slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. So in other words, I'm not going to enjoy my house until God himself has a house. You can sense the passion that is in David's Uh, within these words in David's life. He's got a single-minded focus. It keeps him awake at night. I'm not going to sleep until I make sure that God has a place to dwell here in our midst. It is a single-minded focus that... uh, that, ha- that gives him the passion to do, these thing- to do this, which is very hard to do. When I think about this single-minded focus, I can't help but think of all of these athletes that we've been watching in the Olympic Games and how many of them have quit their jobs, have uh, put everything aside so that they could uh, compete in, in some cases just in a single event. And they might not even in, be, be in contention to win a medal but they have, set a, they have made such sacrifices with this goal of being able to do the best that they can in this event. Michael Phelps surely has to be a, a great example of this. I mean, this guy that has such laser focus. And I got a kick out of this uh, picture. There was this, he was going to go against this competitor who was shadow boxing. Phelps is a swimmer. So what's this guy doing boxing? But he's right in front of him trying to intimidate Phelps. And look at that snarl on his face. Who are you to try to distract me from this race? I mean, Phelps is the type of guy, he's got a single-minded focus. He's got this passion for this sport. And so I think about personalities like Michael Phelps and maybe even King David himself. And I think, well, I don't, I don't know if I'm that type of person that has that kind of same, that is able to have that same kind of single-minded focus. But when we think about our spiritual lives... Really what God is calling us to do is he's saying, may everything you do, may the way you live your life be all done for me. That God would be honored in our lives. Now that is a life of passion. That does not come easy. That takes real uh, intention and, and focus to say, you know what? Even in the small things I do, things from my family to my work to the way I Treat the person in the grocery line when I'm, buying my, when I'm buying my cereal. May all of these things be honoring to God. And so the first part I want to talk about this morning in our notes is I want us to consider our passion, our service to God for His glory. Our service to God for His glory. I think, we get a, I think we go a long ways in thinking about our service for God just when we reflect upon the songs of ascent that we've already covered this summer. Let me take a minute and just read the titles of these sermons and think, what if we actually live these things out? This would be a life of passion, a life of service for God's glory. Starting in 120, a life of repentance, trust in God's providence, Worship of God, dependence on God, God's help, God is our security guard, joy in the Lord, working for the Lord, happiness in Christ, spiritual perseverance, hope in the gospel, contentment in God alone. Man, that is quite the list. 
It's hard for us to get our minds around this all at one time, but maybe certain uh, thoughts come to your mind as we think about these things that we have uh, looked at throughout this summer, and we think, if our, if our lives had that kind of trust, that kind of uh, dependence upon the Lord that is being talked about throughout all of these songs, then our lives would be full of passion, full of our service towards God for His glory. You see, David was a man of passion, not simply because of what he did in preparing the groundwork to build the temple, but he was a man of passion because primarily because of what was in his heart. It says a couple places in the Bible that David was a man after God's own heart. He is a man that had his heart fixed and set upon the Lord. And so that is my first challenge for us today, is do we have that single-minded focus? In fact, I invite you to examine your own heart and your own life as we think about you know, David being a man after God's own heart. Would you be able to characterize your own life and being able to say, I am a man or a woman after God's own heart? Are there distractions? Are there things in my life that would, uh, help me to have, that would cause me to make detours from being focused on serving the Lord and living my life for His glory? So the first thing we consider from this uh, psalm when we consider the life of David is David's passion and then our passion, our service to God for his glory. The second thing we consider is this promise. There is a promise that's made to David, and I think that promise also applies to our life. And so we might summarize by saying that God, uh, this point about God's promise, that God's people will reign with him forever. We'll talk more about that, but before we uh, talk about what that means for us, look at how, how David is given a promise of reigning forever. Verses 11 and 12 say, The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath he will not revoke. One of your descendants I will place on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and the statutes I teach them, then your sons will live on your throne forever and ever. In theology, we call this the, the Davidic covenant. That with David, there would always be someone from his line who would be king over Israel. And so, David's son Solomon was the next, son, was the next king. Solomon's son Rehoboam was the next king. And it went on uh, one after another like that. And in fact, uh, G- David's, genial, David's lineage can be traced all the way to the person of Jesus. If you read the genealogy as given in, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, David is mentioned there. And so is Solomon, and so is Rehoboam, and it goes on and on and on until it gets to Joseph, who is Jesus' earthly father. And so Jesus came in the line of David, and that is significant because we understand that the promises that are given here, even in this passage, find their fulfillment in Jesus. Jesus came as a king. Jesus came to rule. Now, not as a king that was in, uh, that, that, uh, not in the way that he was thought to be by the Jewish people of his day. They anticipated a military king who would defeat their political enemies. But Jesus came as a king nonetheless, a king whose land was main, would be in the hearts of his people. And so Mark summarizes Jesus' whole earthly message with this one statement. 
The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The reign of God, where God's will is done, is right within grasp, Jesus says. The kingdom of God is, with, was, is right here at hand. If only we would repent to, fix, to turn our minds, to change our minds and our hearts and fix them on God and believe, trust in the good news that Jesus is King and He has come. You see, when we, become, when we become Christians, really what we are doing is we are entering in to Jesus' kingdom. This is what Jesus invites us to do. Two verses later in Mark, again, Mark summarizes this call to follow. The same thing is, the same invitation is offered to us as, be, as is offered to those who would later become known as Jesus' disciples. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, come, join in my work. Did you know that all of us are called to, to come and to reign with Jesus in his kingdom? We are co- to come and to enter into his work, living life the way that he uh, lived. Now, Jesus was not a coercive king that forced people into the kingdom. People were won by his example of love and kindness towards us. Ultimately, that greatest example is his death and resurrection on the, uh, his death on the cross and his resurrection after three days. And so when we look at the same thing, we are to live lives of love and sacrifice to those around us. And in a sense, we are called to be kings and queens in God's kingdom. We are called to carry out God's work. G.K. Chesterton, in his classic book entitled Orthodoxy, writes, The more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. Now, isn't that a beautiful picture of Christianity? That we are given the uh, opportunity to run wild with the good things of God, for God's kingdom to spread through our lives. And when we think about all of this, it means that our lives are no small thing. We are not like the little ants scurrying along on the sidewalk, basically living meaningless lives. No, in fact, your life and my life are very significant when we live in the kingdom of God because this is how God's will is being carried out in the world today. And it ought to give us great hope. It ought to give us passion. It ought to help us to rest in the promise of God because when we put that, the, our passion and God's promises, promise together, the equation equals that God's active presence is experienced in our world. This is what, this is what the Christian life is all about. That our passion would be coupled with the plan of God, would be coupled with His promises towards us, and that through us, God's active presence would be experienced and realized in the world today. When we prayed the Lord's Prayer, our Father, the one who is in the heavens, may your name be holy in my life. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's talking about the active presence of God in our lives. Again, I call this active presence because there is God's presence all around us whether we care to notice it or not. There are many places in the world where God dwells but His will is not done. 
What we're talking about here is God's active presence. Your kingdom come, your will be done in our lives on earth just as it is done in heaven. So Psalm 132 talks about this joining of heaven and earth, so to speak. It says here in verse 7, Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. I love that image of let us go and worship at God's footstool. If God is in heaven, sitting on his throne, that's another way we understand his presence. He has a a throne in heaven. His footstool is here on this earth. In other words, this is where heaven and earth join together. And we come uh, before God and we worship him and we live for him. And here are the results. They're given here in verses 15 through 18. One result when God's active presence reigns is that there is abundant food and provision. I'm just kind of basically taking the words directly from the text. Verse 15 says, I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor I will satisfy with food. When we are doing the active work of God, bringing the active presence of God into this world, we are helping meet the needs of those around us. We are called to that kind of service. The second thing is mentioned here, another result is that there is joyful worship. Verse 16, I will clothe her priest with salvation. Her faithful people will sing for joy. When God's active presence is known and experienced and realized, there is joyful worship. And so we come together in this place to worship, but we seek to worship God and with joy throughout our entire lives, 24-7. Thirdly, righteous leadership. Verse 17, I will make a horn to grow. In other words, I will make a, a, make a, a, a leadership a path for, grow for David and set, his lamp, and set a lamp for my anointed one. And we, can, we are called to be leaders in this world, to be righteous leaders in the church and in the world. And that is a result of when God's kingdom come and, and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Fourthly, deliverance from enemy oppression. Verse uh, 18a, I will clothe his enemies with shame. And we know our primary enemy is who? The devil, right? And Satan, uh, Satan himself and his forces and sin. And so when we invite the active presence of God into our lives, those type of enemies are put to death. That is what we are called to. And then finally, fifthly, there is honor and glory to God's chosen people. The last part of verse 18, his head will be adorned with, radiant, with a radiant crown. We are to honor and bless those Christians around us, to support one another and to build one another up. And so we consider all of these things. We consider uh, God's presence coming into our lives. And we hope that these are the type of things that will uh, result from God's work in our lives. But when we look at the world around us, we have to be really honest. Not always do we see God's active presence, right? Even among those who are, who are really seeking to follow God, even among us, we experience heartache. We experience difficulty. We experience uh, times of grieving and frustration. But yet we press on because we know that this is not the end. There will be a time where heaven and earth will be joined together completely. And God's will will be done 
in, on earth just as it is in heaven because actually the two will be made one. And so when we do these things, when we do all of these things, seeking to live with passion and service to God so that God's active presence is experienced in our world today, we are actually living in anticipation with Jesus, for Jesus' second coming. And we can't preach a sermon on, I can't preach a sermon on God's active presence without reflecting upon the fact that God's active presence anticipates Christ's second coming. That's when God's presence will be realized fully and finally. It's described here in Revelation 21, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Notice how many similar words are, uh, the, similar, the similar language in this passage as is in Psalm 132. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. The Israelites are traveling to Jerusalem to come into God's presence. And here we have, uh, and here we have God's people not traveling to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem coming to us. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. We are the bride, the church. How are we going to get dressed up for Jesus? By doing the good works that are talked about here in this passage. The bride is beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. New life, which we experience in part now, will be fully realized in that, at that time. God's active presence will have complete reign. And so when we, live, when, when we live in light of this promise, we live with passion. Our passion plus God's promise equals God's active presence. And that's a pretty spectacular thing. The new heavens and the new earth are called a feast. And right now, we're just eating hors d'oeuvres. Now, they're very good hors d'oeuvres. They're t- mighty tasty to be in the presence of God. But ultimately, we look forward to the day when Jesus himself comes back and heaven and earth are joined together. Let's bow and close our heads to, uh, as, we, uh, as we prepare to close. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I thought it would be a great opportunity for us to just take a minute to examine our own hearts. And maybe this morning is a day where you'd say, I really want to have the active presence of God in my life. And maybe you are here this morning and you feel like, at least to a degree, that you have strayed. Maybe you'd go so far to say that you have backslidden. And I want to give you the opportunity just to um, rededicate your life to the Lord today.
Just say, God, I want you to come into my life in a, in a new way. I really want to experience your presence. And maybe you are here this morning and you hear all of these things and talking about a day where we would live with God forever and, you're, and you know in your, in your heart of hearts that you have never made that decision. That you have never made the decision to place your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And now in this moment you decide, that's what I want to do. I want to have my mind fixed my heart fixed on Jesus. I want to live for Him from now on. A single-minded focus to say I want Jesus to be number one in my life. If either of these things describe what's going on just in your heart and your mind right now, I invite you with, every, with, all, with all heads bowed and eyes closed just to raise your hand that you might indicate that you're going to commit your life to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we are here in the quietness of this sanctuary, we realize that you are here with us. And just even the, those that have made the commitment this morning to say, I want God to come into my life. God, I pray for their, your active presence to work in their hearts. Give them strength as they seek to persevere with you. God, I pray that they might have a new life in your name, that they would put Christ first in everything that they do and say. And those of us who are continuing on in the faith that maybe we started even a long time ago, I pray that you would give us strength as well, a single-minded focus and devotion to live our lives for you. And so, God, we commit ourselves to you again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.